Let's turn to Genesis 23. Genesis 23. We'll read the entire chapter. Hear God's holy word. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron, Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went in at the gate of his city. No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron, in the hearing of the people of the land, but if you will hear me, I give the price of the field. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver, what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. 
After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. So at a ripe old age, Sarah died, 127 years old. She and Abraham had been together for most of those years, maybe a hundred or more. But now Abraham has to go on alone. They'd sojourned together in the promised land. Now he will sojourn alone. We've seen, seen some of their uh, ups and downs. We've seen their faith have its highs, and at other times lows. They were not perfect people, far from it. But they were, they were one. They were together. And so it's no surprise for Abraham here to be grieving like he is and weeping weeping for his wife, Sarah. He sadly had to face the fact that his calling by God, his being chosen by God, uh, with all the blessings and benefits that it gave him, it did not set him or his family free from the, the reality of death. And when Sarah died after all those years in Canaan, Abraham still didn't have one inch of space in the promised land where he could lay her to rest. Didn't possess one bit of it. Sojourning is what he was doing there. He had no place uh, really to call his own. They had great hope because of God's promises But those promises were still all unfulfilled, uh, at least with respect to the land. By the end of this passage, though, we see a, a small beginning of the fulfillment of God's promises. Abraham is finally going to possess at least one small chunk of the land, just that tiny piece with a cave and a tomb. But to the eyes of faith, this means something. This little piece of land serves as a a down payment on the full inheritance of the promised land. Hebrews 11.13 says of the Old Testament saints that they all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. That's how Abraham and Sarah were living. And the writer of Hebrews is actually uh, speaking about them there. They were living by faith. They were trusting God to bring his promises to fulfillment 
And they died that way. They died in faith. They died still waiting for God to bring his promises to pass. Sarah dies right there smack in the middle of the promised land, but it still belongs to the Canaanites. And Abraham also realized that he uh, was not going to possess the land in his lifetime. He knew he was going to be a stranger and an exile on earth, certainly in that land. But he clung to God's promises in faith. And Sarah's death is another opportunity to do that, to cling to God's promises in faith Trust in God, to wait on his word to come to pass. And after he mourned for a time, after he wept for his wife, he went to the people of the land, the Hittites, and he said to them, I'm a sojourner, I'm a foreigner here. Give me this land that I may bury my dead. In the English, it almost sounds like he's being a little pushy, but he's not. He's really, uh, he's really being very clear here. He's saying, I'm a foreigner. I, I have nothing here. I don't have any right to demand anything of you. Uh, please do me this favor. That's what he's asking for. He's asking for a favor, even though he's willing to pay for it. That's interesting. This land is promised to him and his offspring. One day it's going to be theirs. But that day's still far off. And so at this point he has no rights to it. And so he humbly he knows that and he goes to these people and he asks asks them to allow him to purchase a bit of land for this grave. And this wasn't just a practical need for Abraham. It was a need, obviously. His wife had died. He needed a grave for her. And he needed one that was right there where they were. He didn't need one that was, you know, a day's journey away or two days. He needed something right there. But buying this land, by doing that, Abraham shows that he is believing God's promises. He believes that his offspring are going to inherit that land. He knows that one day it is going to be theirs. And when that day comes, he wants Sarah's bones to be right there in that tomb in the future when his descendants come in and take possession of the land. So this was an act of faith. This was an investment uh, by faith on Abraham's part. Again, he's looking with eyes of faith to that future day when this land would be called home to all his descendants. And he wants his wife, the mother of Israel, to be entombed right there in the very middle of the promised land, right there in the center. That's where they are. Abraham will later be buried there as well. 
along with Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and Leah. And so Abraham was seeing far beyond his his present circumstances. Hebrews 11, verse 9 and 10 tells us, By faith, Abraham went to live in a land of promise, in a foreign land, living in tents, with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He's an example for us. Abraham is. He saw himself as a sojourner. He saw himself as an alien in that land. And we need to think the same way. We need to see ourselves as foreigners, as strangers in this world, aliens. Philippians 3.20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our home. And by faith, we're looking forward to it. We're looking forward to our Savior's glorious second coming. We're looking forward to something so much better than what we have now in this world. We're looking forward to resurrection bodies. We're looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. That's our promised land. And it's coming. And it's more real and more certain than anything in this world. It's more certain than the air we're breathing right now. And we need to have that heavenly mindset, that future-oriented, eternal mindset. Are you investing in that promised land with your resources, with your time, with your money, with your energy? Are you living your life on earth with a focus on earthly things or a focus on eternal things? It's very easy to get caught up in our worldly pleasures and worldly pursuits, things that aren't going to be around for very long, things that are going to pass away. That's not going to be worth much. In eternity, we need to get our minds right. We need to get our minds oriented in a heavenly way, fixing them on eternal things. An eternal heavenly mindset has a way of putting things in right perspective right here and now in this life. It helps you prioritize. It helps you focus on the things that really matter things that are going to last. We need to keep looking by faith beyond this life and this world and these present circumstances. Keep looking to our real homeland, to the world to come, to the city with eternal foundations like Abraham was looking to. 
Well, then we have this big, long discussion about price. It sounds like uh, haggling over a used car or something these days. And the outcome and the price paid was similar to the kind of uh, ripoff deals that we see these days. After discussing the price with this Hittite, Ephron, Abraham becomes a landowner finally in Canaan. But it is truly a ripoff. Ephron says all these gracious things. At first, he talks about giving him the land for free, giving him the grave for free. Seems to have been disingenuous. It's true that Abraham insisted on paying the price, paying the full price. And he did this because he didn't want to be indebted to anybody, and he wanted to make sure that 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 land and that grave would really be his for good. But Ephron then seized on uh, that. He seized on uh, the grief of this man, and not only that, but the wealth of this man, and he decided this was his opportunity to make some pretty big money. Abraham only wanted the cave, but the Hittite insists on it being the whole field. You know how that goes, more land, more money, and, and he charged a lot more money. It was an outrageous price that he asked for, and it's kind of a, a sneaky way that he goes about um, throwing this price out there. He says in this conversation, my Lord, listen, What's it to us? 400 shekels of silver for this land. What's that between you and me? Bury your dead. If you don't know the value of a shekel, um, this sounds like he's being a really nice guy. But it's really uh, an exorbitant price. It's uh, some kind of a dream price that for that plot of land. It's, it's more than that. It's ridiculous, insanely overpriced. 1,500 years later, Jeremiah would buy another field in Israel. You think later, maybe the land would be worth more. It's kind of how things work. But he paid 17 shekels for a piece of land. And here, Ephron asks for 400 shekels. So this man was an opportunist. That's six pounds of silver. That is a lot of money. That was a lot of money then. He was taking advantage. And he probably was doing what what many people do. And he was throwing out his highest price. And he was expecting Abraham to haggle, expecting him to come in with a lowball offer, and uh, maybe they would meet in the middle somewhere. Abraham's response must have surprised him. He just flat out agreed to it, to Ephraim's ridiculous price. It's hard to not think, wow, Abraham... Could have done better than that. Aram's getting taken to the cleaners here with this price. It was outrageous, but you know, when you think about it, who really got the better deal? On the surface, it looks like Ephron did. 
You got this big bag of silver. It should have just been a little pouch of silver. He got a big money bag. But he only got that for a little while. How much good would that do him in the long run? Jesus said, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Abraham got the better end of this deal. He had to pay for this land, and he paid big for it, even though God had already promised that land to him and his offspring. But he was investing by faith in God's promise. And Ephron, on the other hand, he knows he's going to have to give an account. He doesn't know, maybe, but he is going to have to give an account to God for this extortion, this terrible ripping off of God's chosen friend, Abraham. This whole transaction is, uh, is here to teach us something. Having a relationship with God is far more valuable than anything in this world. And if that relationship could be bought, if we could measure it in shekels or dollars and pay a price for it, it would be worth everything. It would be worth selling everything that you have. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything that he had, and he bought it because he knew it was worth everything. Is that how you value your relationship with God? Is there anything in this world that you value more than God and your walk with him, your life with him, your union with him? If so, your heart is set on the wrong things. We see that kind of contrast between these two men. Ephron was all about the money. Abraham was all about his friendship with God. If we're living like Ephron, we're making a bad investment. God is worth more than anything. I pray that he shows that to each and every one of us. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what this wonderful God has prepared for those who love him. Ian Duggett comments on this passage, and he writes, Eternal life in God's presence is not cheap. For some, it may cost everything that they have, even their very lives. Nonetheless, it is worth whatever it costs. What a great inheritance belongs to those who die in the Lord. What a great inheritance we have. The whole world is theirs. 
more truly than a rich man who owns a mansion. The whole world is theirs. Many things can separate us from our earthly possessions. No matter how tightly we try to cling to them, but nothing, nothing can separate us from God and what he has prepared for us who love him. Let's have that kind of mindset, people, that kind of God-centered mind, that kind of heavenly mind. Set your mind on things above all the days of your life, and especially when you're confronted with death, as we all likely will be. And the passage from 1 Thessalonians 4 is, is very helpful when we're grieved, when we're grieving for loved ones, like Abraham was, or like many of us have been recently, grieving for someone who's died. Paul tells us not to grieve As those who have no hope, as believers, we must grieve with hope. We must grieve in faith, keeping our eyes on Christ and his return and the resurrection and the inheritance he has for us. We don't keep our minds fixed on those things. It will be very easy to fall into doubt and despair. Abraham had his eyes fixed on his future hope, a glorious hope, a sure hope, a certain hope. And we need to have that same certainty of hope today as believers in Christ. And we can have it because we have this Savior And he has died for us. And his body was laid in another cave for a tomb. But he didn't stay in that cave for long at all. He was raised on the third day. And his resurrection is the guarantee of our resurrection. And of all those other eternal blessings that God has stored up for us. Let me close with the words of Peter from his first epistle in chapter 1, that great chapter that speaks of these things so beautifully. It's one of my favorite chapters in the New Testament. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. For you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved 
of various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though tested by fire, may be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Keep trusting in Jesus Christ. Keep looking to him by faith. Keep seeking the things that are above. By By God's grace, you will possess them very soon. You will obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls, eternal life with our glorious God. Let's pray. Our great God, you are perfect in your faithfulness. It is so good to know that your faithfulness has never failed and it never will. It did not fail Abraham or any of your people who trusted in you. And you will never fail in your faithfulness to us. So help us to trust in you. It shouldn't be so hard to trust in you in this life, knowing that you are altogether faithful, unfailingly faithful. Help us, Lord, strengthen our faith. Help us to trust in you, and we pray that you would keep our faith firmly fixed in the Lord Jesus Christ. We long for his coming. We look forward to being with you in glory forever. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We ask these things in his name.